Well, this is uh, week one of our new series called Built to Last, if you join us for the first time. Last week we started this series and uh, we just talked about this journey that we're all going to be on as we discover uh, what are the materials, what are the key things that we need in our life to be able to build a foundation that is built to last. And uh, it's an exciting time. We're going to look today at, at some key components to, uh, to what it takes to build a foundation like that. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, John chapter 17, verse 3. We'll get there in just a minute, but you know, when you look at this series, um, we'll be kicking off and starting off uh, when, when it comes to small groups and things like that, starting up this week. In fact, we've got many that will be joining and starting small groups today. Small groups kick off today, and uh, if you haven't found a small group on your way out, you can, uh, on, to the left-hand side, you'll see kind of our built-to-last small group table there. You can find a small group there, sign up for one, uh, and look, if today is your first day, you're going, well, I don't know these people. That's okay. They don't know you. We'll have everything taken care of. They got ones for child care. With child care, they have ones for every season of life. And uh, we firmly believe that life change really happens in small groups. And, and we love it because you, you may, again, if this is your first time, you built to last. Like, is this a building campaign? Like, what are we doing? Is this kind of like life principles so that I can, uh, you know, get better and, and I learn some kind of self-help stuff? No, really what it is is really setting you up to win in the areas of life that matter the most. But, but by doing that in the context of laying a foundation that really is going to set you up to do that. At the end of the day, I love seeing people win. I love coaching people. I love helping people walk in the fullness of who they are in Christ and discover what it looks like to have this life-giving uh, relationship with Jesus and really thrive in it. And, and that's why we do series like this. That's why we, we look at this. And, and I, want to, I, want to, I want to remind you, kind of way of review, I want to look back at Matthew chapter 7. We looked at this verse starting in... in uh, Chapter 7, starting in verse 24, and, and you know, there's, the, Jesus is, is telling this story. He's talking about a man that's building, and he builds on the rock. And I love what Jesus does here, because we're just taking the words of Jesus. That's all we're doing, right? We're looking at God's word, and we're saying, okay, what is Jesus saying here? And he's giving this principle, right? right? So that we live in life. There's this order that we all have to abide by. There's these laws that we have to abide by. If I go up in an airplane and I decide to jump out of an airplane without a parachute, there's this law I have to abide by. It's called the law of gravity. And if I don't have a parachute, then all of a sudden this little Mexican is going to come float into the ground really, really fast and then splat. Picante sauce all over the place, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. It's like that old youth pastor in me. You know, it just comes out sometimes, all right? And, and, and it's, I don't have a say in whether or not the law of gravity happens. Can I tell you something? It's going to happen. What goes up? Must come down, okay? Well, there's laws even in this context. There's order in how the world is establishing. And life can feel random. It can feel like kind of, wow, that was out of nowhere. But by and large, there's, a, there's an order and a principle that God works by and works off of. And, and Jesus is pressing into that. He's leaning into that. He's saying, listen, I, I want to I I build off this. He's saying, look, you can build on the rock, and, and what he says is, listen, you're building on the rock because life happens. There's a storm that's coming. If you've lived any amount of time, can I tell you something? You know life happens. Storms are coming. It's coming to your marriage. It's coming to your kids. It's coming to your finances. It's going to happen. 
The, 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 the winds are going to come. The waves are going to come. Life is going to happen. And, and what he says is, look, I want you to see something. There's something that happens here. The person that builds on the rock is the person that hears and does. It's not just listening and doing nothing about it. It's listening and then doing, apply what his word is saying here. And when you do, you begin to build on the rock. And then he goes on and describes another man in verse 26. He says there's another man that builds a different way. He builds on the sand. And, and what is it? He's the person who hears but doesn't put it into practice. It goes on and it says that great is the fall. When the storms come, when the difficult times come, when the waves come. Can I tell you? It says great. Why is it great? Because when we fall, it doesn't just affect us. It affects all those around us. It affects those that we love the most, those that are closest to us. So it impacts who we are. And Jesus is saying something here in this scripture, in this text and in this principle that he's giving us. He's saying, listen, we all are building something. He's saying, I want you to understand something. We're all building something. And you have to understand that what you're building is going to get tested. It's going to get tested. Whether you like it or not, we're building something. And, and again, I get passionate about this. I get really excited about this, sometimes a little too much. You know, I get real dialed in. I get passionate about a lot of things, you know, but I get really passionate about this. Because I, I, I want us to understand, I've seen what this looks like in my life and other people's lives, that when we grasp this understanding that we're all building something and what we build will be tested, then we begin to learn, okay, I, I, I want to build the last. I, I want to I set myself up to win. I want a foundation that when the storms come, because I listened and I did, then I was ready. I was ready. Because it's coming. It's going to come. Life happens. It's difficult. Trust me, I, I've been in ministry. I've been pastoring for over 21 years, okay? And so at this point, there's a lot of life that happens, and people walk through a lot of different things, and it's challenging, and it's difficult, but you can be built to last. I, I want to look back at a scripture we looked at last week. It, it's the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. And we're going to look at this, 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10. It says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. So he's saying again, here he's tying this principle. I can either build in a wise way or I can build in a foolish way. But when I build wise, what am I doing? And someone else is building on it. See, that's what we want for you. See, because for you as, as adults, as parents, and even if you're older and your children have moved on, God can still redeem that. He can do a work because when you build on a foundation that is wise, you build on the word. Here's what begins to happen. Others build on it. You make an impact in your life and in the generations to come. And he goes on and what does he say? But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that's really what this is about. This whole series is about let's build with care. Let's be intentional. Let, let's do what we say we're going to do. Let's, let's get to where we say we want to be. Let's build in a manner that would show that this is where we want to end up and this is what we want to do. There, there's intentionality that we can live with when it comes to, to laying a foundation. And, and I, wanna, I want us to look at something, and, and you may even do this a little bit more in your small group later this week, is that as we break this down and as we look at this, I, I want us to begin to evaluate the soil of our, of our life, the soil of our heart, the condition in which we're building on. 
I shared with you last week, you know, in, in southeast Louisiana, that where Wendy and I lived for about 13 years, we built our first home there. And, and they do this not just in Louisiana, they do it a lot in Louisiana because a lot of things are, are in a floodplain is what they call it, which means it's prone to flooding. And, and Wendy's from New Orleans and floods a lot there when you're nine feet below sea level, you know, you're like in a bowl, okay? And so they're always evaluating the soil. And the truth is, every good architect, every good civil engineer, every good builder, every good engineer, what they'll do is they'll come in and they begin to test the soil before they build a foundation. They're testing and they're going, what's the water content in there? How much sand is in there? How much clay is in there? What does it look like? And they'll do test after test after test. And I can remember when we built our home, I got real impatient because I'm like, can you stop testing? Let's put a foundation down because I want to see walls going up. But I'm grateful. They were making sure, let's make sure this right here, let's, let's keep doing bore samples and drilling down and testing the soil because we want to make sure that this is good and in a good place to be able to build a foundation on. And, and that's what I want us to do. I, I want us to think and, and begin to uh, just evaluate. So let's, let's dig down a little bit in our lives. Are we really trusting in God? I had a conversation with someone the other day, and it was one of those, you know, we're just Again, being, I talked about it last week. If you're going to build on a healthy foundation, guess what? You've got to be honest. It was one of those honest conversation kind of moments. And, and I said, now, this is kind of cut and dry. I said, but at the end of the day, you're telling me you trust God. But really, by your actions, what you're really saying is, I don't really trust God with this area of my life. You trust Him in all these other areas, but not in this one area. And so what I want us to do today is let's drill down. Do we really trust God? God, are we really building on a foundation of Jesus? Let, let me put it real practical. Perhaps it comes down to kind of asking yourself this question. How do we really know that we're saved? Now you may go, well, that's an interesting conversation. I mean, Pastor Chris, I mean, of course I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. But I think oftentimes what begins to happen is I think people ask themselves that question more than we even realize. We begin to really want to know, do I really know Jesus? How do I really know I have a relationship with Jesus? How do I really know that I'm building on Jesus as my foundation? People walk in these doors every Sunday, and they may not have a relationship with Jesus. They may be new to church. This is not, do you attend church? This is not, do you have a Bible? This is not, did, did you do your version uh, uh, devotional this morning? This is, do you have a relationship with Jesus, because the truth is, we all ask ourselves that question, because none of us want to be wrong. None of us want to be wrong, especially about spiritual things. I, I was reminded of this this week. Friday night, we were hanging out at the house, Wendy, myself, and the girls, and, and uh, Camden and I were doing something, and she had this book. And uh, it's called Strange But True or Strange But Weird or I don't know. Some of you know what that is. And so reading off all these different facts, you know, scientific facts and all these different things. And I'm like, no, I didn't know that that, that is strange, but that is true. Okay. So none of us like to be wrong. This book is all about, I think Camden really likes it because it's all about dad. Did you know? I'm like, no, I didn't know. Or yes, I did know. No, you're wrong. I'm like, okay, listen to this book. I don't like being wrong. No one likes to be wrong. Well, Wendy had one of those moments on Friday night. We're doing some stuff and Camden goes, what family of species is the killer whale connected to? I'm like, you're nine. Why, what, what, what am I? Am I like, you know, is this Jeopardy? What is going on here? You know? and, and so Wendy from the other room says, well, it's a whale, of course. It's in the name. Killer whale? I mean, that makes sense. Camden goes, wrong. Well, Wendy, if you know her by any stretch of the imagination, she's not one to really back down. 
uh, from anything. Uh, much less a nine-year-old that's saying, no, you're wrong. Okay, so Wendy did what most of us would do. Hey, Alexa. We're going to prove right now. Hey, Siri. What family of species does the killer whale belong to? Of course, Siri, I think hers has a British accent. It's like, here's what I found on the web. Okay, no offense to anyone from England. That's a terrible accent. Okay, but, but uh, you know, <laughs> so, so she pulls it up, looks on Google, and sure enough, would you know, a killer whale is part of the dolphin family. It's actually the largest dolphin. It's actually the largest species in the dolphin family. Who knew? Who knew? Now, look at the things you learned right here at Milestone Church. Now, you can go and you can wow all your friends and go, hey, what family is the killer whale from? You know, it's a giant dolphin, okay? You know, but, but even in that moment, Wendy's like, I can't believe it. Camden's jumping around like she just won the Super Bowl, you know? And I mean, she's like, I was right. Mom was wrong. You know, it's kind of like this. Wendy's kind of taught him, like, if we play games, you know, the goal is not even just to win. It's just make sure dad doesn't win. That's like, that's a win in our home, you know? And so it's like, you know, it, why? Because none of us like to be wrong. We don't. We, we don't like it. We don't like the way it feels. And the truth is, here's the thing. We don't like the way it feels when it comes to spiritual things. We feel like we should know. And then we feel bad when we don't know. We don't know what the Word of God says. We don't understand what the Bible is saying. We don't, we don't, and, and the truth is, we, we feel this in multiple areas of life, but our spiritual life is so important because our spiritual life is the only aspect of life that's holistic. It impacts every aspect of who we are and every part of who we are. And this is what Jesus is talking about in John 17. Now, Jesus is here. And I want to set it up just a little bit. Jesus is just about to be betrayed. They're about to arrest him. And he goes off to pray. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. And listen, he knows he's about to go and die on the cross for our sins. Yet in that moment, he's not thinking about anything else but me and you. In fact, that's what's so amazing is in the middle of the most difficult, most challenging moment that Jesus is about to enter into. What does he do? He's thinking about you and me. He's thinking about us. He's thinking about praying for us. And it says this in verse 3. Now this is eternal life. That they know you. He's praying. He's talking to God. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, he's praying in this moment, I want them to know you, God. I want them to have a relationship with you. That word know in the Greek is gnosko, which means to experience. Jesus is saying, I want you to experience a relationship with God. And I want you to experience a relationship with me. That is what he's asking for. So he's not just saying, oh, look, this is, this is just something, uh, the, the meaning of life, right? Now, this is eternal life, real life, fulfilling life, the meaning of life. It's not in how good you are and what you do and what you've accomplished. This is the meaning of life that you would know, that you would know God and that you would know Jesus, his son. I, I, I love how the Living Bible Translation says this in 1 Timothy 
Chapter 6, verse 21, Paul is writing this letter. This is the first letter he's writing to Timothy here. And it's kind of a coaching moment. In fact, in some of the scriptures just before this, he talks about guarding the deposit that's placed inside of him. And watch what he says, because this correlates to what Jesus just said here. That there's this desire. God is, Jesus is praying, I want you to know God. And, and watch what Paul writes. Some of these people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. You see, we were all created to know God. We were all created at the deepest level of who we are. It doesn't matter how successful. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how much you medicate. It doesn't matter how hard you try and overlook it and ignore it. At the end of the day, we were all wired, designed, and created to know God. And no matter how hard you try, how fast you run, at a certain point, you're always going to come back. It's like a a honing beacon. You're always going to come back to this longing of wanting to know God, wanting to have a relationship with God, wanting to experience God's love in your life. And that's what he wants for you and me. I remember in my life, I mean, I grew up in a godly home. I've shared with you before. Some of you know this. My parents got saved when I was eight. Raised in a godly home from that point on, but can I tell you something? Even though I was raised in a godly home, I didn't really know God. I didn't have a personal relationship with God. And because of that, what I began to do is I began to find my fulfillment in other things. And all through the rest of high school, all through the early years of college, I just ran and ran and ran in the opposite direction. Because really what I was doing is I was ashamed. I was scared. I was nervous. I really didn't know. How do I have a relationship with God? And all I was doing was covering up. I, I was just, I was hard-headed, and I was just headed the other direction. But at 19 years old, God got a hold of me. God got a hold of me, and everything changed in that moment. Because up to that point, all I was trying to do was cover up and medicate and make it seem as though, oh, man, this void that I'm feeling. You know, and, and I can remember what that was like. And I relate to people like that. I love it. I love it. I love people just hard-headed like me. You're just going to, you're going to like, that's the wall. I'm just going to keep boom. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to try and go through. I'm going to do it my own way. There's a door right there. Yeah, but that wall looks like it needs a hole in it. And I'm the one to put the hole through it. And that was my life. But can I tell you something? When Jesus got a hold of me, that same passion that I had in that way, now is focused in my relationship with Jesus. Because the truth is, you may be in that season. You're just running from God. All we do is you're just covering up this longing to know God. But I'm telling you, that's fine. Once you get it, it's going to be awesome because I know if you're that passionate about the things that are going to bring destruction in your life, you're going to be that passionate about the things they bring life to you and those around you. And that's what happened in my life. That's what happened to me. That, that's what began to happen in me. And so we look and we go, okay, so how do I know I'm saved? But, but I want to break this down for just a minute. And, and I want to go, well, how does this happen? How does salvation happen? Because what I want us to understand is we have to realize that we're all broken. There's a perfect God, and yet we are all broken. And there's this gap between a us being broken and a perfect God. And can I tell you something? We all are broken, and some of us were broken because our parents were broken. 
Our parents were broken. They didn't know how to actually have a, a whole relationship with us because they didn't have a whole relationship with God. And so when we experience that brokenness growing up and in that environment, here's what we begin to do. We begin to become the victim and all of a sudden, everything we do, it's like a tornado all around us. Or we end up performing. We end up performing to cover up the hurt and the lies and the dysfunction. And we just perform to perform to perform to cover up the brokenness we experienced growing up. Sometimes we do the breaking in our own life by foolish decisions. Sometimes other people do the breaking in our life. So wherever it comes from, we're all broken. We're all broken. And this is what happens. Because there's a gap here, because there's this, this gap between us being broken and this perfect God, that's what makes us nervous. That's what makes us a little insecure. That's what makes us push away. We don't like knowing, how do I fill the gap? Now, you know because maybe you've been in church. You know maybe because you've been around. Well, Jesus, of course. Well, I'm not talking about this theory of Jesus. I'm not talking about just this person of Jesus that you have heard about. It's one thing to know about Jesus, it's a completely another thing to know Jesus, to have experienced him in your life. And here's what begins to happen. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he comes in and he fills the gap. You see, something has to fill the gap. And what happens is the story and the work of Jesus is that he died on the cross for our sins. He paid a debt that we could not pay. And he made a way and filled the gap and created a bridge for us who were broken to have a relationship with a perfect God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, this is pretty simple, Pastor. But I want to make it simple. I'm being simple for a reason. Because I think of this in Romans 10. How, how do you know? How do you, how do you, how do you get saved? How do you, how do you make Jesus the Lord of your life? Well, Paul wrote in Romans 10. He said, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Not you might, not you could be, not it's a roll of the dice, not maybe if you're really good or if you work really hard or if you do all the right things or if you serve every single Sunday or if you come to church and you got perfect church attendance record. No, 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 no. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. And he makes a way. So it's nothing that we do. It's nothing that we can work on. It's nothing that we try to fathom. And so what I want us to do over the next few minutes is practically let's look and break down. How do I know I'm building on a foundation of Jesus? How do I know I'm, I have this relationship with Jesus? I'm building my foundation on him. How do I do that? Well, first is this. I've made, you look and evaluate and you go, I've made an exclusive commitment to Jesus. We live in a society that doesn't like exclusivity because by nature we think well if it, that's exclusive then now you're being demeaning and you're you're ostracizing everyone out no 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 there there's a way Jesus is not a way he is the way he is the way to God the father he is the way to healing and wholeness he is the way it's not a way I just pick one just fit whichever one feels good no he is the way He's not A that you can select from or choose from. There was a, a scholar who wrote, and in his book he said this as he studied and studied, and actually he set out to study to prove that Jesus was not who he said he was. But like anyone else who dives into this word and begins to actually study, he began to realize, I was wrong. 
And he wrote in his book, he said, as I began to dive in and discover, is he who he really says he is? Then he, either he was one, he was a liar. And all these words and all the things the disciples did and all those who gave their life to Jesus, they were fooled. Biggest con of the entire world, Jesus was a liar. Or maybe he was a little crazy. He was a lunatic. Or maybe he was who he says he was, and he's Lord. He's Lord. You see, when you think of this exclusive commitment, it's in like to marriage. It's, it's, it's similar, and I don't have time to break down and correlate how you tie in like this commitment to Jesus and how it corresponds and correlates to marriage and what that looks like. But, but here's what I, I want you to get. is like when you think of marriage and someone says, Pastor Chris, how long have you been married? I don't go, eh, forever. That wouldn't go over well with Love Biscuit. Mm-mm. Okay, Wendy's going to go, no, we've been married 18 years this June because we got married June 1st at 10 a.m. And I tell you what, it's not just some general thing. She knows all the good things that happen, all the bad things that happen. She'll let you know what to this day, almost 18 years later, what she thinks about the photographer that we had. Okay, she'll let you know about the cake that fell over. It was starting to melt because we got married outside. Well, we did the reception outside in Texas. Don't ask us why. That's why we did it at 10 a.m. It was hot in June. She knows all those things because you know the details. And so the same way I no, this is not just some general, yeah, I'm kind of married to her. I'm kind of committed to her. We, we kind of just kind of been married like forever, you know, kind of. That won't go over real well. I know exactly when, and I, this is exclusive. I'm committed to that girl right there on the front row. That's my girl. That's my Cajun queen. She's the one. Got it? Okay? So she knows, and I know. But it's amazing how when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, I just kind of always been a Christian. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just, I mean, I was just kind of raised in church. No, no, no. You're going to know the same way you're going to know when you get married. If you're not married, and the same way you know when you got married, if you are married, is the same way you know this is when I met Jesus. When it was September 27th, and I'm driving home from college, and I was tired of the way I was living, and I'm raising a godly home, but I've been running as fast as I could the opposite direction, and I knelt down by my bed, and I surrendered my life to Jesus, and He delivered me from drinking, and He delivered me from all the other addictions, and I turned in that moment 180 degrees and started running the other direction. You'll know. You'll know. You will know, and it becomes exclusive. It's exclusive. Because then when you begin to do that, you begin to understand, how, how do I know I'm building on this foundation? Well, you experience His presence, not just information or rules. You see, depending on the heritage you grew up in, it may have all been all about how much information do you know? How much can you quote? And that's great, but I can quote it and not know it. I can quote it and not experience it. It can be all about the rules and don't do, don't do, don't do. But what about how you should live and what you should do and what God has called you? You see, you experience His presence. That's what transforms you. Not information, not a bunch of rules. It's His presence in your life. I love what the writer of Acts says. Luke writes in Acts 4, verse 13, he says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, these are other people watching and evaluating, and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, everyday people. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, do people look and they go, that person's been with Jesus. That, that person has been with Jesus. 
and, 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 and they have had an experience with him. I love the disciples when, when, when Jesus shows up after he's risen again on the road to Emmaus. It's Luke 24. And the disciples say, our hearts burned within us because of what we heard you say, Jesus. Because of what we saw you do. They experienced him. You see, an experience is powerful. Experiences transform what we do. We see that every day. I was just talking to someone about an experience they had in the foyer just before this second service. And it it reminded me of an experience people had back in August 1955. 54% of Americans watched the opening day of Disneyland on TV. Highest rating. Higher than any Super Bowl. Higher than the moon landing. Here's the crazy thing about it. Opening day, it was 100 degrees. They ran out of food. You had to pay for every single ride, and the lines were way too long. It was a disaster. Yet, Walt Disney had communicated the experience. And because of that, within one month, one million people had visited. And now, 65 years later, more than 150 million people go to a Disney park every single year. Now, listen, all about it. Great it. Awesome. Love the mouse, go to Disney World, go to Disneyland. But can I tell you something? None of that compares to experiencing Jesus and His presence in your life. And what we want for you is that when you walk in those doors, Katie and the team, they don't play songs because it's like, hey, I feel like coming up here and singing a few songs and playing a few songs so you guys can watch them. It's so you can experience Jesus. Because when you do, it transforms everything. So how do I know I'm building on that foundation? Well, I experience Jesus more than I do rules and information. But then here's the third thing. I see clear evidence of his work in my life. Clear evidence. Not not perfection. Progress. There's clear evidence of what's happening. Going back to the old youth ministry flow. I can remember a quote we used to say way back in the day. If you were on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That, you know, sometimes people go, we need a little more preaching like that. Because the truth is, oh, well, is there evidence to show that Jesus has impacted your life? Now, I want to say something, because even as I was praying for you, this is what we can do. You can hear that, and you think all about the sins and the sins that you commit and all the things you shouldn't be doing. But there's also one other sin we don't often talk about enough. It's called the sin of omission. So there's the things that maybe you shouldn't be doing that you're committing, but what about some of us that we may come in here, and what about all the things that we're omitting, like living by the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What about the, the, the great commandment and the great commission? What about those things? You see, is there evidence of that in your life? Because we can go, well, there's evidence of me serving. There's evidence of me going to church. There's evidence of me doing all these things. But is there evidence to show that there's this true knowledge, this experience of knowing Jesus? Now, listen, I'm not, this is not me like, man, Pastor Chris, you kind of fired up. You mad at us? What's going on? Like, you trying to beat us up with the Bible? No, no, no. Can I tell you something? There's areas in my life where I'm doing a little core sample. I'm testing the soil, and I'm going, I, I need a little more of the fruit of the Spirit. That one starts with a P. It's right in the middle. Patience, yeah, not real good at that one. God decided to give me three little girls to test that. They don't seem to move quite as fast as I like them to move. They seem to be a little louder than I like them being. They seem to like things that I don't really like. But i got to grow in that. And there needs to be evidence of that. Because can I tell you something? They're watching. 
My kids are watching me. People around you are watching you. Is there evidence of those things, of his work in your life? That's what Jesus talked about in Mark 7 when he said, you will know a tree by its fruit. Not by the information, not by the way you quote scripture, not by the things that you do, not the books you read, the podcasts you may put out, the things you do, none of the sermons I preach or the things I may do. That's all information and content. They will note by the fruit. And the fruit is the people that I live. Starting first with Wendy and the girls and then those that I'm around. That is the fruit. And that's the evidence. And then the last is this. I expect to be with Him for eternity. You see, eternity is not just living forever. That is part of it. That is part of it. But, but when you think of this, you know, there, there's this, this phrase that, you know, and I, I hate to say it, you know, I, I got to come to grips with it. The kids used to say back in the day, you know, and I'm not one of those kids anymore. I'm like 41 now, so it's like I can't say it. And even what I'm about to say, they may go like, Pastor Chris, don't say that. That's not cool. We don't say that anymore. I don't even know what you're talking about. But, but the kids back in the day, they used to say YOLO. You know what YOLO means? You only live once, you know? But it's not true. It's really it's yolt. You only live twice. You only live twice. You know, I had to, I had to deep, dig, dig deep for that dad joke, right? You know, you just got It's in me. I love it. My kids don't like it because I got to so share it with you. But we live that way. We think, oh, I only live once. No big deal. No, no, no. You only live twice. You're going to live here, but you're also going to live for eternity somewhere. And the question is, Where? And not only will you live for eternity somewhere, how will you live here and now? Because eternal life, as Jesus was saying in John chapter 17, it's not just simply about eternity. Eternal life is not just simply about living forever. It's about knowing Jesus. You see, you can know Jesus. And there can be evidence. And you can experience Him like you never have before. When you make Him exclusive. He's it. He's the one. He is the way. And you may be here today and you may go, I've I've never made him the way, Pastor Chris. You can today. You can make him the way. He can be your Lord and Savior. And when he does, it transforms you from the inside out. And you can know. You can know that today is the day. The same way you know your birthday, you can know your spiritual birthday. The same way you know what day you got married, if you're married, you can know the day you gave your life to Jesus. But for every single one of us in here, maybe you're saying, Pastor Chris, I know the day. I've been serving the Lord a long time. Five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Or maybe you say, well, you know, now you mentioned it, Pastor Chris, I just kind of always been in and around church and and that's good and you do you are saved and he is the lord of your life but can i tell you something we can all know him at a greater level we can experience him in a way like we never have before and when we do it impacts not just us but those coming after us we can build a foundation that lasts if we build on jesus I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. I want to pray for you this morning. You may be in here today and you're that first person. Pastor Chris, I don't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I've never accepted Him as my Lord and Savior. 
I've kind of always been in and around it, but never really like, okay, Jesus, I surrender to you. Today you can. You can know. And as you're seated there, you just simply say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to transform my life and change my heart. I surrender to you today. I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. And I thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do in me. I pray that you would come and take my sin, my guilt, and my shame. And as I surrender it to you, as I give it to you, I can know that, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you are my Savior, and heaven is my home. If you prayed that prayer today at the end of service, our ministry team will be up here. Please come up here. We'd love to put some resources in. Let us know you made that decision. We want to celebrate with you and put some resources in your hand about that decision. But for the rest of us in here, my prayer is this. Jesus, I pray that we would just continue to evaluate the soil of our heart. God, that we would continue to look and see what you're doing and how you want to develop a, a solid foundation in you. And I pray that each one of us would, would long to know you, experience you in a greater way in our life today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.